0: Hi, I'm John Molesky. Welcome to America's 360. This program is brought to you by the world's number one think tank for regional studies, and America's 360 is a collaboration among the Wilson Center's Argentina Project, Brazil Institute, Canada Institute, Latin American Program, and Mexico Institute. In this special Hispanic Heritage Month episode, we're going to discuss the term Latinx, what it means, how it's used, and who does and doesn't identify with it. Identity, and specifically how we choose to identify ourselves, is a timeless theme with issues of gender, race, ethnicity, and all manifestations of identity looming large throughout the Americas. Awareness and use of the term Latinx, a gender-neutral and pan-ethnic label, has risen in recent years. Despite this, the term has been heard by only a small segment of the population it's meant to describe, and it's used by even a smaller group. The Pew Research Center released a report this past August on the use of the term. To provide insight into the emergence of Latinx, we'll kick off this episode with Mariana Sanchez-Ramirez, a producer of America's 360 and a program assistant with the Canada Institute. Mariana's special guest is Mark Hugo Lopez from the Pew Research Center. Take it away, Mariana and Mark.
1: Thank you, John. And welcome, Marco Hugo Lopez from the Pew Research Center. He is the Director of Global Migration and Demography Research. Thank you so much for joining us this afternoon.
2: Thank you. It's great to be be here.
1: Well, with John's great introduction, let's start off this, this conversation regarding Latinx with a very important yet basic question. Can you please define to our audience, what is Hispanic, Latino, and Latinx?
2: Well, these are all three terms that have emerged in the United States to describe the population of people who trace their roots to Latin America and to Spain. Now, there are some formal definitions. Hispanic, for example, is formally defined by the federal government to include people who trace their roots to any of the Spanish-speaking countries of Latin America or to Spain. Now, more recently in the 1990s, the term Latino and Latina emerged as an alternative panethnic term. And it's one that's really meant to emphasize the Latin American roots of the population. And some may even say excludes a place like Spain, but includes a place like Brazil. Um, Latinx is an alternative to these two, and particularly an alternative to the panethnic terms of Latino and Latina. And Latinx emerged, by the way, in the 90s. It's been around for a while but it's only recently begun to get a lot more use. And again, I want to stress that it has roots in the United States. It's meant to be gender neutral, but it is another pan-ethnic alternative to describe a population that is quite diverse within the United States.
1: Great. And to, to follow up on that question, Mark, tell us a bit more about how widespread is the awareness and the use of Latinx in the United States.
2: So in a survey that we did last December, we asked the U.S. population of people who identify as Hispanic or Latino, uh, whether or not they've ever heard of the term Latinx. That was the first question we asked. We found that 23% had heard of the term, but three quarters hadn't heard of Latinx itself. So, this really does fit with a lot of the uh, conversations I've had around the country in recent years, asking people if they've heard of the term Latinx. And interestingly, many people just haven't heard of it. Now, among those who have heard of it we did ask do you use it yourself to describe your identity and we found in total among all adults three percent of all latino adults say that they use the term latinx to describe themselves that was the key and most important finding i think of this report and i want to stress this is not a report that says the public has a thumbs up or a thumbs down an approval of the term latinx we didn't ask that at all we just asked have you heard of it and do you use it and interestingly those who have heard of it are more likely to be college educated younger, uh, US born, English speakers first and foremost, and also tend to lean more towards the Democratic Party. Um, And those who tend to use it oftentimes tend to be again, younger, college educated, Democratic leaning. But interestingly, it is young Hispanic women who in our work are most likely to say that they use it to describe themselves, about 15% of them do.
1: Wow, that's just fascinating. And it really speaks to the nuances uh, regarding which Demographics identify not necessarily identify, but actually have awareness about the term Latinx and can you delve into um, you, you just briefly touched upon it, but other factors that play in whether or not US Hispanics are aware about Latinx any specific examples that really drew drew your attention.
2: Uh, Well, again, it's uh, those who tend to be younger and college educated, and I think that really reflects where Latinx's use started to really rise. It started to rise first in universities, because in the 1990s, there was a desire to have not only an alternative to Hispanic, but a pan-ethnic label for the population that would describe or at least be representative of the multitude of experiences within the population. That's where you see Latino emerge, but also Latiná slash o or Latin with the at sign to represent both the o and the a at the same time to again capture the multitude of experiences around gender that are part of the story of these of people who trace their roots to Latin America. Uh, Latinx comes out of that same uh, same same movement to have this uh, gender neutral, very panethic, a very broad uh, term that can capture many to many a multitude of experiences. So that's where you think about Latinx. Who is most likely to have heard of it? Well, those who have had some college experiences because that's where it first emerged to describe Latino studies, in this case, Latinx studies programs at the university level. More recently, though, since the Pulse nightclub shooting, it's become more common to see it in news reporting. You see celebrities using it more often now as well, corporations use it too. Um, And it's really striking that many people, particularly those who are in leadership positions or have an opportunity to shape the conversation around this, have been using it more than, say, the public itself, which is still generally unaware. I want to say that it also doesn't mean that eventually we might not see the public become more aware of it and perhaps even adopt it as a term in the future.
1: Great. And one final question for you, Mark. What are your final thoughts, if any, about Latin and Latinx and its potential acceptance and into more of the mainstream U.S. society in the coming years.
2: Well, I think that one striking thing that's happening in the U.S. and frankly around the world is a broad movement to have language that gives people the flexibility to identify themselves how they want to identify. And that is true not only of race and ethnicity, but also around gender identity. So, for example, in the U.S. we've had a movement towards the use of pronouns, people telling you what pronouns they prefer uh, if you're going to refer to them or address them. That is something that's more accepted among younger Americans than it is among, the, among older Americans. Similar pattern to Latinx. Outside of the United States, in Latin America particularly, we've seen the emergence of Latin E, an alternative to Latin X, so latine, as, so that when you pronounce the word, it, you can actually pronounce it. And that's one of the criticisms of Latinx, that it's hard to pronounce that in Spanish. But Latin E and its various forms, like for example, rather than saying todos and todas, you can say todos. That is an example of where using an E as opposed to an O and an A gives you a gender neutral but pronounceable version of words in Spanish. So I think this is part of a broader international movement. I think Latinx might rise in use, but it remains to be seen whether or not it could be supplanted by something else.
1: Well, Hugo López, Director of Global Migration and Demography Research at the Pew Research Center. Thank you so much for joining us today on America's 360.
2: Thank you
0: back to you, John. Thanks, Mariana. Uh, And special thanks to Mark and to the Pew Research Center. When we return, we'll conduct a special edition of the Roundtable, continuing our exploration of the term Latinx. Stick around. You're listening to America's 360. Welcome back to America's 360. Before the transition, I mentioned that this episode's roundtable would be of the special variety. Here's what's different. Our regulars have stepped away this week as we welcome a group of young Latino professionals for our discussion of the term Latinx. They are Rachel Schmidtke, advocate for Latin America at Refugees International.
3: Hi, John. Great to be here.
0: Rachel, great to see you. Eric Acuna, a comedian, actor, and writer. Hello. Thanks Hi. for having me. Eric, I have to ask you, you know, I, when, when people are introduced as a comedian, there's almost an expectation that you have to be funny. You know, if we introduce a doctor, we don't ask him to perform surgery during the discussion. You feeling any pressure in that regard?
4: Uh, not at all because all of my friends and family always ask me to tell a joke uh, when I say that I'm a comedian and I'm like, I'm not gonna do that. <laughs>
0: Well, that is optional. We're going to be fair to comedians today and not put undue pressure on you. Alexa Rodriguez joins us. She's director of TransLatinXDMV. DMV. Hi, Alexa. Hi, everyone. Olivia Soledad is a program assistant with the Wilson Center's Mexico Institute. Hi, Olivia.
5: Hi, Don. Thank you for having me.
0: And back by popular demand, Mariana Sanchez Ramirez, who you just heard from during our spotlight interview with Hugo Lopez. Uh, welcome back, Mariana. Thanks, Don. So as has become clear in our discussion, in my lead in, in the interview with Mark, labels are almost impossible to escape. Uh, Many of us, particularly journalists, are guilty as charged of using them as a type of shorthand in order to be able to talk about big groups of people. So almost an unnecessary evil, but words are seldom neutral and words also have meaning and power. And I I introduced all of you as a group of young Latino professionals which offers varying degrees of accuracy, right? From my perspective, you're certainly young, maybe from a, a child's not so young. So all of these things are, are somewhat imperfect. Latinx attempts to offer a more inclusive term. Uh, we talked about Latino and Latina, and and Mark in the interview talked about Latin E or Latina. Uh, so we've got a, a smorgasbord of of. Uh, topics, or I should say titles to choose from. So what I'd like to do is sort of just hear what you identify with. Let's do a, a, a cross the round table in the order of introduction. And do you associate with any of these terms more one than another? Do you see any of the terms as being superior for any particular reason or more accurate for any particular reason? Rachel schmidtke can we begin with you?
3: Sure, John. Um, so personally, I identify as Latina. That's because my gender identity coincides with my, I guess, sex at birth that I was assigned. Um, so I, I prefer Latina, but I, I am very curious and would love to hear the other panelists' thoughts on this term.
4: Eric, your thoughts. I identify as a Latino just because of, I identify as a male, but uh, with my friends that are Americans, they call me and I, now I feel also fine just identifying as Latinx because they, a lot of my friends now use that term a lot. So I'm, I'm fine either with either Latino or Latinx.
6: Alexa. So I identify as a Latina, um, as same as my, as my um, friends here uh, because of my gender identity. I urge sometimes people not to use the Latinx if they don't know what it's about. Because people just assuming, and they put in titles or tags on us, and instead of asking, are you okay using the Latinx? So you identify as a Latinx. Olivia?
5: I also identify as a Latina for similar reasons than Rachel, Um, but as Eric also mentioned, I don't usually have a problem or even take any sort of issue or pay attention if people were to define me as Latinx.
0: Thanks. Mariana?
1: So I, I too identify as, La, as Latina, but um, with that being said, I exist in a multiplicity of spaces in my professional and, and personal life. So definitely it really depends on the situation and where I am, but I, I am not afraid or uncomfortable with Latinx.
0: But the, you know the, the your answers sort of bring up a question about the utility of of t- uh, these titles in general. Alexa, you raised the caution sign about using the term without sort of approval. So my question, and I'll begin with you, Alexa, is who gets to decide what we're called?
6: I guess the person who identify us. For example, when I think Mark says something like the 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 question about pronouns. So if I identify as a trans Latina indigenous woman. So I have so many identities in my skin that it can be identified as a Latinx, but I know that. But when I'm saying that I'm a trans Latina woman, that's how I want to be addressed. If the person is just assuming that I identify as a Latinx, that for me is wrong. I'm not sure if that makes sense, but just because it 's a trend or people think that it's a trend or or a new thing, they want to put us in 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 one in one spot so for me, people need to understand what is latinx what is to be a latinx person because it 's not only for for identity purposes it's for many things, and when we know what it's about about we can be an ally for, for Latinx community. Not only for, because it's representing an ethnicity or a group of people, but also for people who are uh, gender non-binary and non conforming But just because it's a trend, I don't see it like it's appropriate.
4: Yeah, I agree with what you say, Alexa, about how um, like you should identify as how you you feel like. Um, and, and at least in, in the uh, spaces where I, where I work in, in comedy, and in theater, most of American people, I had these conversations, like, why are you using the term Latinx? Because I feel like that's the term that a lot of people use now, mostly American people that are not Latinos, Latinas, or Latinx. And they usually say, I feel like it's a safe term, um, which I find very interesting. A lot of people just saying. I feel like that's a safe term. I feel like I'm not going to upset anyone if I use the term Latinx, but I, I think that they, that's just their belief, right? Because they could actually piss someone off if, if they use that term. But I feel like that's at least the, the, the reasons that I've heard even in auditions when they said Latinx is just, this is the safe way to identify these people so that we
6: don't upset anyone. But that's a tricky part, like they can, they can be being like, oh, no, I'm inclusive. So I, let me use this, this, um, this term. But in the, in the reality is like, just for using the term doesn't mean that you are being an ally or you're being inclusive. So we ask always people who use the the X or the Latinx, are you inclusive? Do you have non-binary people in your staff? Do you have non-binary people in your friendship? environment, all those things, all those questions, uh, all those conversations need to be raised because when we just use them to be, to, to me feel safe or to be okay, that's not okay, actually. So that can be violence because we don't know how the other people in front of me identify such as.
0: I, right? I wonder, and, oh, I'm sorry, Alexa, go ahead. Finish your thought. I'm sorry.
6: No, like uh, in my culture, we call gringos to the white people and they don't like that. And, and, but it's my culture, and that's how I learn to call pe- Caucasian people, you know, their identity. But yeah. I learned now that I, I have to use proper or political, a proper political, I don't know how to say it, but like, you know, proper terms, just for- Acceptable, politically
0: be, correct. Yeah, yeah, whatever the case might be. You know, that which raises the question of who's the referee, right? So uh, I want to ask some of the others, uh, when you're approaching this, not personally, but professionally, and you're writing or you're speaking, uh, how do you choose the right term, and how do you keep track of what is, as Alexa, just put it the most acceptable at any given moment? You know, you think of the evolution of Black than African-American, and now Black has made a comeback in America for a while. African-American was predominantly preferred, but no longer the case. Now it's a mixed bag. How do you make those determinations, Mariana, Olivia, Rachel, uh, when you're writing, when you're speaking?
1: So, John, that's a great point that you mentioned, and that actually speaks to um, the aspect of the term Hispanic was first used by the U.S. government in the 1970s after Mexican Americans and other Hispanic organizations lobbied to the federal government to identify the population. And subsequently, in the US Census Bureau, it didn't come, wasn't actually stipulated in the Census Bureau until the 1980 census. So again, when we talk about identity and kind of categorizing or where we place people in what box, I think it's, it's definitely a an evolution, and it evolves to Mark's point that, similar to the language, right? That what what we what we may see in the next five or ten years in regards to the not necessarily adoption, but the introduction of Latinx into a more mainstream aspect of the Latino community is only is only a matter of time.
5: I think John, from what I've seen, and even just across social media, is where I get a lot of or where I try to assess the perception of these terms, I do definitely agree that gender inclusivity has been a topic obviously in the United States and Latin America has followed as well. Although there's obviously large issues that affect people in terms of gender and i accepting that diversity, but I will say that it's interesting to see this rise of Latine or as Mark also mentioned, the use of the at sign to encompass both the A and the O, although obviously that doesn't encompass Uh, those that are gender non-binary but what I also wanted to say about this is that you know I think the pushback that I've gotten from people that have either not heard of Latinx or just weren't familiar with it is that they see it as originating from the United States and it's sort of this tension or this um, habit of the United States trying to encompass a group of people under one umbrella
0: right that that leads to automatic pushback because it's a U.S. imposed term
5: I mean, a lot of times in my own life, it seems to be the case. And, you know, there's reasons for it, right? These, uh, everybody wants the ability to identify themselves. And if the United States, for their convenience of whether it be the Census Bureau or just to identify these groups in their politics, if it makes it easier for them to get, create this term, then, yes, you're sort of taking that ability away from these people. So I feel like that's a large area where I've seen pushback from communities in Latin
3: America.
0: So Rachel, when you're public speaking or, or writing, what, how do you choose?
3: Yeah, it's a really difficult question. And I actually want to jump on um, Olivia's point a little bit in that when I was working for a long period of time in Peru, I used the at- symbol typically in writing. Um, that was something that was sort of being pushed in a lot of circles to be more inclusive. And so when I came to the United States to start working here, it felt a little bit like the term Latinx was the was the appropriate term to use. And in the work that I do, I focus quite a lot on people who are fleeing persecution in particular in Central America because of their gender identity or gender expression. And so we're always trying to use the, the terms that are, you know, the most dignifying to people, but it is, it is challenging because you don't want to have pushback for using something that might not be accessible for international audiences. So generally, I'll try and use, I'll either use Latinx or I'll use the term Latin sometimes as well. But I I actually do appreciate the term Latine and I'm curious to see if that will actually pick up steam at some point.
0: Eric, I wonder—you know—when policy analysts are walking on eggshells when it comes to terminology and trying to get it right for all kinds of reasons, comedians not so much, right? You're you're cracking eggshells. Is this a, a terminology as a consideration in your work as a comedian?
4: Definitely. I I, uh, I I've encountered so many so many things. I, I was born and raised in Peru, and and then I've just been living in DC for eight years. Uh, and throughout all those years, I definitely. Uh, encountered that most of the people involved in comedy are uh, white straight men and uh, they don't they're not very um they don't usually know what what the terms they they should be used and that's what i was saying that recently i realized that a lot of my mostly liberal people little friends either work in that industry i use the term latinx i been trying to get together with a lot of other people that identify as Latinos, Latinas, or Latinx in in the comedy scene to kind of like raise awareness of what those labels mean, because also the word Hispanic is being thrown, and it's just there's a big difference among all of all of those all of those uh, categories. Like like um, it was mentioned before, so I think it's very important to to especially to like raise awareness to, to people to American people about the different terms that we use. And at the end of the day, I think the most important thing is how each one wants to identify.
0: Now, we're moving into our final minutes, and I want to give each of you a chance for a final thought. And, and you know, one of the clear and present dangers we haven't discussed explicitly, but it's implicit in the whole discussion, is that labels run the risk of creating a monolith and that's always inaccurate just by definition. Uh, we had our discussion last week, uh, in our last episode about the Latino vote in the upcoming U.S. election, and obviously that's not something that can be uh, spoken about as a singular type of, of end- undertaking, and I think that's also the risk here. But I'm wondering, as we move forward, final thought from each of you, uh, how you see this evolving uh, who will drive our, our policymakers and politicians involved in driving the conversation? Is it journalists? Uh, is it individual activists, young people? Who will have the final say as we move forward? And, and, and what's your thought on any closing thought of anything we haven't had a chance for you to discuss so far? Alexa, let's begin with you.
6: Sure. I think it will be individual, community, advocacy, and activism, because every change that, that I have seen, I have lived in the United States for the last uh, 11 years almost, every change that, ch- change that I have seen, it, it begins in the community. So it will continue that way until we go to the politician and people in power to make a change. Thanks. Olivia.
5: I agree with Alexa. I think it's really going to come down to an individual level with their close um, friends and family. I can say, for example, you know, my family was always conservative and raised religiously and issues of gender are always sort of like hush hush and hard to touch. But it starts with people that want to talk about it. And you just have to be willing to open that conversation. And family members do react once you start seeing that this this isn't something that we can just stay quiet about for much longer. You know, and I think what is part of that, part of the precious thing of having these conversations is that you realize that we're not a monolith, right? Even in just this group of five young people that belong to this generation, we all have different opinions about how we feel when identifying with the term Latinx, maybe how widespread we think it'll be. Um, But all these opinions are important because they all go against this idea that we are a monolith because we're not. And we all want a voice in saying who identifies us, and how we can respect people who identify different than we do.
0: Mariana.
1: Well, I think this, this goes to show the amount of code switching that goes into just who we are as human beings and how we identify and exist in different spaces. And I think to, to, my, panelists, to my panelists' earlier remarks, I think it really speaks to how we have to change and evolve and really start these conversations from the family unit into the policy space, into the research space. I think that that conversation has to start from a very early point of view. But I definitely see this issue being an initial conversation in many in many spaces, both in personal in your personal life, but also in a professional life as well.
4: Thanks, Eric. Yeah, I I agree with uh, everyone here that it it that change has to start from from a local level, from us, from uh, grassroots levels, and also from each of our own area of, of work or expertise and either in the academia or civil or, um, society um, or even from the comedy aspect. Like I, I, uh, I wrote a, a one-person show that is mostly directed to uh, white American people and where I pretty much tell about my story as a, as a Latino living in Peru and then just moving to, to D.C. a couple of years ago and just explaining the, the terms of Hispanic, of Latino, Latinx so that generates a big impact on them. And you're like, at the end of the show, they are, they are like, oh, I didn't know this is, these are the differences. That's so interesting. So whenever in any field that we can do our part, I think it's always important to just like establish like, hey, at the end of the day, it's us that, can, that should define ourselves and not someone else.
0: Yeah, The the arts certainly shouldn't be underestimated, right? So much terminology, even what we name babies, is a function of pop culture, uh, of storytelling, of the arts. So it it has a big say in how we talk about ourselves and about our world. And Rachel, you have the pressure of the final word. Don't blow it.
3: (laughs) pressure um no i agree with everything that my fellow panelists said i think that the people have the power to influence policymakers, and i, I think the important thing is that policymakers start not only looking for gender inclusive language but moving to to inclusive policies that take into account the needs of all of us in the latin latinx latine community and not just centering on one specific population so hopefully more inclusive policies in the future that's what i'm hoping
0: Thank you, everyone. We'll need to leave it there. Rachel, Eric, Alexa, Olivia, Mariana, thank you very much for participating in our special Hispanic Heritage Month episode of America's 360. Hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. And to our listeners, if there's a topic you'd like us to cover on America's 360, or perhaps a guest you'd like to hear from, let us know. You can reach us via email at americas360 wilsoncenter.org. We'd love to hear from you. Until then, for all of us at the Wilson Center and America's 360, I'm John Molesky. Thanks for joining us.
5: You have been listening to America's 360, a podcast about the innumerable ties among the nations of the Western Hemisphere. America's 360 is produced and edited by Oscar Cruz, Angela Robertson, and Mariana Sanchez Ramirez. You can subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. To learn more about our programs, please visit WilsonCenter.org. And please join us again next time for another episode of America's 360.